Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. This week is part two of my conversation with Ross Boer, founder and CEO of Latitude Legal. So let's pick up where we left off last week. I assume that you guys have handled placement of retired JAGs and former JAGs at somewhere along the line, especially since you're nationwide. Have you found that the expectations of the former judge advocates have been realistic as far as pay and work? Or have we sort of gotten used to the salary in the military, the untaxed allowances that when we come in and we say, well, I'm looking for this and that, and you guys are able to find something you think that they're is a good fit and there's a read on the salary one way or the other. And they're like, wow, that's really below what I was expecting. Or are they pretty good about doing the research and understanding what the financial range they're looking at? It probably varies based on the person. You know, one of the advantages I feel that candidates are going to increasingly have is a lot of job postings An increasing number of job postings are going to include a salary range. Now, I, I think the salary range aspect of job postings can be a challenge on the employer side, particularly for companies like ours, where you might have a really wide range. Like when, when we have a latitude consulting attorney position, there's going to be so many different variables in there that if someone is looking at our website, a lot of times they're going to see a really wide range because the experience level of someone who's, let's say a commercial contracting attorney or software attorney, they could be anywhere from five or six years of experience to 30. They might have industry specific experience. You've also got a situation where there's different demand. Demand will vary. So when all of a sudden there's a shortage, clients are willing to pay a lot more and that can swing. And sometimes it can swing during the pendency of a search. But from the perspective of you as a candidate, increasingly, you're going to have a good sense of positions, maybe not the one you want, but by looking at a variety of companies, you're going to start to get a feel of what the range is. And then the other thing is the recruiters that you talk to are typically going to be able to give you a range and they have an interest in closing a deal. The only way for a recruiter, particularly in a legal services company where they are the W-2 employer of the attorney, it's critical that the attorney be happy and that the, the client be happy. So they need for things to land where it's a match, where the, you know, the attorney is going to enjoy the work, they're going to thrive in the role, they're going to be effective in the role. And that's critical to the client being happy with them as well. And the money has to be right. Because obviously a lot, particularly retired judge advocates are going to have the benefit of having a baseline retirement income. But from a recruiter's perspective, you don't want to get someone in a role where they are going to be dissatisfied and frustrated and it's a pebble in their shoe. And if they feel like they're being undercompensated by the same token, you don't want someone to have unrealistic expectations and price themselves out of a role that they might thrive in, or maybe it will leverage themselves up. So typically what a recruiter is going to do is they're going to provide that feedback directly to the candidate and they're going to hopefully be really blunt. So if someone rolls in and they say, Hey, I want this job, you know, this is what I, and I, I'm expecting to be here. They're going to provide feedback and say, Hey, here's where I think the range is. Here's where I think that you would be a match. 
I can say from personal experience, a lot of times, you know, we will advise candidates and say, hey, if it's so far out of the range where we don't want to propose someone, I would be blunt with someone and saying, hey, that's going to price you out. I can't pitch you to this client at that particular price range because they've told me the range is X. But other times when it is within the range, when I was doing this, I would be counseling the, the candidate we can put you up there and they may go for it, but that could put you at a less competitive edge. Right now, there's other candidates that have similar experience to you that are a lower price point. So they may just like you better and you may be able to command that, or I can adjust you and put you more in sync. Or if you want a compensation edge and you're okay with it, I could propose you at a lower price point. And so that puts the the decision-making in the candidate's hand, and they can weigh where they want to be. The same is true for, like we talked about earlier, contract to hire. It's, you know, it's a permanent position. The candidate's a little bit out of the box. Some instances, you know, someone coming out of the military, they're going to be an out-of-the-box candidate. And what we would say is, are you good with us proposing you for this permanent position and saying, Jane or John is willing to go in on a, a contract basis? So they're, they're so confident they're going to be able to deliver this, that they're happy to go in and you can test drive. If it's not a great fit, great. Just conclude the engagement and look to find them in another role. A lot of times the mere offering of that sort of thing can be attractive to a client. Now, sometimes a client can be like, wait, there must be something wrong with them. Is it a lack of confidence? And that's where the advice of whoever is proposing them and their relationship with the client, they should be proactively addressing that sort of thing. So there's a, a lot of variables. And I, I should say that obviously I'm talking about this a lot from the perspective of a legal services company or kind of a recruiter perspective, but there's nothing wrong with a candidate applying directly to a role. And in fact, a lot of companies are not going to use recruiters. Ideally, you're able to find someone who you trust in, in the market that you want to be in, and they're able to advise you as a candidate. They're considering you for jobs that, that may be with their clients. But then you have a relationship with them and you're able to ask them questions about jobs that maybe not with their clients. And it's going to be typical that there's going to be a ton of roles that are with entities, law firms, or companies that are not clients. Uh, This depends on the size of the town, of course, or the city, but that's going to be common. And I would say almost all cases are, if it's someone you're going to want to work with, they're typically going to have no problem giving you feedback on other places. And a lot of times it's going to be because you're you're going to say, hey, I'm interested in this role. Is this one of your clients? Do you think I have a shot at this? And they're going to say, not a client, but here's what I've heard. Or I'm aware actually they just filled that because a candidate I was going to propose mm-hmm. called me and said he took that job. That's something that does happen. You'll see jobs that are left live when they've actually been filled. But a lot of times a company is only going to take applications through their own system. And that's when it's going to be important for you to do the research, you to tailor your resume and then to upload it. I think it's wise, obviously, to be candid with the recruiter and say, hey, this is a company where I already have a relationship or I've already applied here. I'm going to apply here. If they want to say, hey, may I propose you or here's why I think it would be helpful. Great. You can consider that. And if you think that advantages you, then you can say, yeah, I'm fine with that. Or you can say no. If someone is trying to be controlling with you, that is a red flag. You should be in the driver's seat with a recruiter. You know, obviously you want to, to be friendly and courteous with them, and they're probably not going to be acting like your agent. But if mm-hmm. someone really is seeming to be controlling, you just want to be sensitive to that because they shouldn't have a problem with you wanting to maintain control over where you're proposed. 
Just a quick editing note here. Ross and I had two separate conversations, one before Christmas and one after Christmas. This marks the point where we picked up our second half of our conversation. So I just wanted to give you a brief explanation if it seems a little disjointed to you. We just talked about going through the recruitment process, looking at that as a person that comes to Latitude or even one of your competitors you talked about. What is your perspective on the market right now for those who are getting out of the JAG Corps in the next six to 12 months? It's been a very interesting time period in terms of the legal market over the last two years, you know, basically since COVID. Right now, this podcast is being recorded here in you know January 2023. The market has cooled. So coming out of COVID into 2021, there was a white hot market, like nothing that I have seen, you know, in my professional career, even going back to the early 2000s when you had the pre-dot-com bust type era. It was really, really remarkable that it is cooled from that level. And, and many of you probably saw that in headlines where there are all these reports of these record salaries being paid to first year associates and kind of this ripple effect. Well, that that was accurate. We saw that throughout all of our markets where law firms were having to raise their salaries. That was having a ripple effect. There were firms poaching from other firms, in-house counsel were being pulled away. You had many firms having to do stay bonuses. And so you, you had this period of intense turnover and run up in compensation that was primarily in the law firm market. But of course that bleeds into the in-house market that has cooled significantly with all of the economic uncertainty. But I would say that the market, there's still many, many jobs. And I was looking earlier today at, at our company's jobs, just in terms of positions that are already slated for new attorneys starting, I uh, say new, but, you know, attorneys starting in new positions for the month of January and the seeing those different placements hitting, there's still a lot of activity. I think there in some sectors you're seeing dips. You all have probably seen a lot of the news reports on tech companies that are having a lot of layoffs, different types of companies having hiring freezes. We are seeing that, but at the same time, a lot of times, even when you'll see headlines about a company having pretty significant layoffs, that's not always affecting the legal department. In fact, in some instances, the factors that are driving that business activity or those business changes are resulting in more work for the legal department. So I would say overall, the market is cool from the, the heights that it was in, uh, this is from a candidate perspective. And what that means for candidates is that the expectations that people had a couple of years ago, like you, you may have colleagues that were entering the market a year or two years ago that just to temper expectations a little bit, because it's, it's not that market, but it's still, I would say, far stronger than the market that we saw after the big financial crisis in 2008. That was sort of a, a black hole for a couple of years. That's a long way of saying the market is still active. It's just not as crazy it was. And meanwhile, the last podcast I did was a government attorney and one of the comments someone made on that, I think he made it and someone else jumped on is one third of all federal attorneys are retirement eligible. So, you know, not necessarily mean that they are going to retire, but it, if you see a great exodus, if you're unable or not interested in the civilian side, there might be plenty of work. But Ross, we've been going a while. I know that you have some thoughts, we can call them Ross's recommendations. So what I want to do is just turn this microphone over to you and let you put out your departing thoughts for judge advocates who are looking to enter the market in the near future. 
Sure. Yeah, I would say that there's a few things that I think can be really helpful. First, I think it's really helpful to thoroughly research the markets that you're interested in. If you're thinking about, you know, as an example, the Nashville market, Seattle, wherever, research the companies, obviously the jobs, go to biz journals. Biz journals have, you know, whatever it is, the Phoenix Business Journal, Nashville Business Journal in many, many major cities. And you can use that to see all the large publicly traded companies, the large uh, privately held companies, the large law firms. So you can pull those lists. The other thing that I've found really helpful in terms of getting to know your market and the types of positions that are opening is to sign up for job alerts. And you can do this way in advance, you know, go to Indeed, other places or Google jobs, go in house, and you can set it up to give you a search for all new jobs that have, for instance, the word council in them, in that geography, whatever it is, the city, the state, the MSA. And that way you start getting that daily or weekly email and can begin going through and seeing the types of uh, roles. One nice thing about that is related to compensation. It's increasingly common for job postings to list the compensation in certain states, California, New York City, Colorado, and a few other jurisdictions. It's legally required for compensation information to be listed. And that will start to give you a flavor of the of the compensation levels within that market, even if all the jobs do not have that information. So that would be one, research the market. Two is obviously prepare your resume. And I recommend that for judge advocates that you do two versions of the resume. You do a short form, which is probably what a lot of people are advised to do, you know, to kind of condense that resume down to one or two pages, civilianize the language in it. But I recommend that you also do a long form resume. And the reason that this is important, particularly if you're working with a recruiter, is there may be information in there that you would tend to edit out in trying to make your resume more concise that may not seem as important to you. But when the recruiter sees all that information, they may spot something that jumps out at them that would be relevant and they think that it should be folded into a customized tailored resume for a particular job. So for that, if you're going to be working with a recruiter, I think having your short form and then a long form resume where they can help work with you to tailor your resume for individual jobs is important. Third, I think it's really helpful if you can to connect with a local judge advocate or friend. It may be one of your law school classmates, someone that you that you know, a family friend, or a judge advocate, you know, former judge advocate that you may not know at all. I think generally speaking, and this is true for me, that most former judge advocates are going to be very receptive to trying to help out a fellow veteran. And I think even beyond that, most of many, many attorneys are going to be very receptive when they find out that someone is transitioning out of the military and wanting to move to their market. A lot of people are, I think, are, are going to want to help. But if you can find someone and reach out to them and just to say that, explain the situation, you're, you're transitioning out and you'd like to move to that market and you saw that they were a former judge advocate and you wanted to see if they would have a few minutes to talk with you. On that call, trying to get the lay of the land, one thing that can be really helpful is to find out from that person, hey, what are some local recruiters that they think highly of or that they would recommend, if any? And that way you can get some sort of validation. Who are the local people that are placing a lot of people into the types of jobs that you like? So you get that transfer of trust. Another thing when you're doing that, ideally you would find a person that themselves is in 
the job segment that you are seeking. So if you want to go in-house, try and find a judge advocate that is in an in-house legal department in the type of company or the similarly sized company that you would like to go to. Same thing with a law firm. If you want to do white collar defense, then try and find somebody in that space because they're going to have a lot more information, particularly if it's a really large market, there are going to be differences in the factors in terms of the considerations of what it takes to get a job. And also you want to find someone who can give you honest advice on your chances, on your compensation, on where, where you're going to have the best opportunities. And so finding someone who's in that segment of the market is going to be really helpful. Another factor I mentioned is I think it's really helpful to connect with a local recruiter. It should be someone, as we discussed, that you trust, obviously, is, ideally is recommended to you by other people that you trust. Perhaps you know someone who's gotten a job in that market and had a really good experience with the person that you may know, a judge advocate, for instance, that transitioned before you. But the key, as I mentioned, is you want that to be someone where it's clear that you have total control over the process. You want it to be someone who's not going to be proposing you to anywhere you haven't given your express consent, and they're going to be doing customized proposals for you and are going to be able to kind of give you advice and, and help. That's something I think can be, be really helpful. It's not always necessary, but I think if you can find a really trusted person, even if they don't end up finding you a job, the feedback and the advice, most of the time a recruiter, particularly when you're you know, in a situation where you're a veteran moving back to a market or, or to a market maybe that you've never lived in, I think a lot of times people are going to spend some time to give you advice and to help you, even if they may not have any roles for you or may not, they may just be doing it as a courtesy to spend some time with you. And don't be offended if they say, hey, with your profile, you may not be a, on point for the clients that my recruiting company or my agency or whatever they are with serves. But if they say that, say, hey, is there any other advice or feedback that you can give me? And can you recommend anyone that you think would be a good fit for me? A lot of times people are going to be open to helping you. Another factor, and I mentioned this, I think earlier, but is consider companies that you can submit your resume to that will consider you for jobs that they have. And some of that will be recruiting agencies. Some of them will be, obviously my company does this latitude, but other companies in our segment that do this are Axiom is another one, Lawyers on Demand. And then depending on the region you're going to, there may be local companies that will provide consulting attorneys, interim attorneys. And so the nice thing about that, if you're open to that type of work, is once those companies have your information in their system, then whenever they have an opportunity, whether it's a, a contract or interim role, consulting role, or a permanent position with one of their clients, you're in their system, they're going to call that up. And if you fit the profile of what their client needs, then they'll reach out. Obviously, you don't have any obligation to accept an assignment or accept an interview or position, but you're kind of opening up that net. Another factor is to be selective and to customize your resume. And so this, again, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it is the importance of if you're interested in a company that to the greatest extent possible, try and narrow down your application to the one or two positions at that company that you're interested in and pursue that as opposed to applying for everything you see in a, in a particular role. You can't really emphasize this enough. It's so important to customize your proposal, essentially your resume for that role. So to thoroughly read that job description, tailor the resume to it, 
I think a lot of times it can help to do an overview section that you make sure to hit the highlights so that they don't have to go all the way through the, your entire resume to see the aspects of it that directly apply. And that can just be very, very helpful. The last thing that I think is so important is just to be patient and flexible. I think to, to understand that particularly with companies and law firms, this is oftentimes true as well. They have widely varying timelines for hiring people. And so you may send your application in, or you may apply from a job and it's not uncommon for there to be no response. Even when you haven't been selected, a lot of times there is a lot of companies or firms will not have a response. They'll only respond if you are selected, but sometimes that will mean that you haven't been deselected either. You'll send information in and you may hear back a long time in the future. It is good to follow up, but you don't obviously want to be a pest or to annoy. Another thing that can be really helpful is to create an opportunity for you to have interaction with prospective employers and one thing that I've seen many people do, and I did this personally, is when I wanted to move back to Nashville, I sent my resume to a number of law firms because I decided I want to go into private practice initially. And I didn't hear anything back. You know, I mean, I, I confirmed that they've gotten my information and I was out of sequence for normal law firm associate hiring. You know, I was straight out on been practicing for about four years. And so what I did is I reached out to a friend and I asked him, he was at a law firm. I asked him if he would be willing to set up an interview, even if it was just him interviewing me. And he agreed, you know, his, his firm agreed that would be fine. And so I then reached out to all the other places I had applied. And I said, Hey, I'm going to be in town for a interview this week. And if there's a chance to interview with you all while I'm in town, I would, I would love to. That opened the floodgates to multiple other firms saying, oh, if you're already going to be in town, then we'd like to see you. And what I realized after the fact is it wasn't that they didn't want to spend money to fly me out. It was the expectation setting of bringing me all the way in for an interview when I was an out-of-the-box candidate coming out of the military in a role that didn't necessarily directly translate. And it was very low impact and low risk expectation-wise for them to interview me when I'm already going to be there. And also, I realize now in my current job that the ability for a hiring manager, a recruiting director, or another attorney within the firm, a recruiting partner, for instance, to go around to colleagues and say, hey, I've got this resume from John Doe or Jane Doe. He or she's going to be in town. Do we want to bring him in or her in? that's way lower impact because they can always say no, but if the person's always going to be there, it's a reason for someone who is a, in an administrative or managerial role to move the process along because they now have an excuse to reach out to a decision maker and say, hey, here's the reason I'm coming to talk to you about this right now and a, and a decision is needed. So that is one of those steps. But overall, I think just being patient and flexible and knowing that you've got a fantastic background You've served the country, a ton of people, you know, in my view, overwhelming majority of, of people in the legal industry are going to have respect for that. They're going to appreciate the experience, the uh, work that you have done, and they know it's going to be interesting and unique. And it's just going to be a question of them trying to figure out how that can apply to their particular needs. But a lot of people I think you'll find will want to help you. I tripped you up there for a minute visually. Did you have any other recommendations you had or was that the end of your list? Yeah, those are the, the main things I, I would say. 
some of those I, I have to admit that I've heard before, like be patient, but I don't think you can hear it enough. And one other thing that I want to ask you about is especially the, the Jags who have been around a little bit longer. You can't be discriminated against because of age, but firms and companies can look at the amount of runway you have left. Do you have any thoughts on age? Yeah, I think that that is just a reality that people even subconsciously are aware of. And I think that the advantage that judge advocates have is that even though, you know, individuals who are retiring out of the JAG Corps are in fact retiring, that it's essentially a mid-career retirement for most people age-wise. And that I think when the civilian sector hears the word retirement, it's typically an individual who's much older. And so I think hearing that, okay, someone's retired from the military, a lot of people don't realize that that is from a civilian perspective, a mid-career age. And so I think the advantage for, for people retiring from the military is that typically the individual is going to be much younger than a typical retiree, and they're going to be physically fit usually. And so I think for so many people, the age factor, what the employer is thinking is, is this person going to have enough runway to stay in this job? You know, we don't want someone that's, that's going to bounce out of here in two or three or five years or whatever. And then second, they're wondering about the energy level and the person's commitment to their job. Is this someone who they've already retired once and now they just want a, a cushy sinecure to have another paycheck? And so I think the way to counter that overwhelmingly is in your if you're able to get an interview or get in front of someone, uh, even if it's in front of a recruiter, because remember, you, if you're talking with a recruiter, they are a proxy for the client and they're going to be digesting that. They're going to be evaluating you and how you would present to their client is to convey energy, enthusiasm, vigor, and an interest in continuing to practice for a, no a number of years. And I think once people realize that and they feel that in terms of their interactions, that goes a, a really long way towards overcoming that. Another factor in terms of the age thing is it is a lot of judge advocates because they're going to be making a transition will be happy to step into what may be a more junior role. You know, so, okay, great. You've been in the senior, senior position. You've had oversight over a, a ton of people, but you may be thrilled to go in in a relatively more junior specialist role in a company where you're not the you know, general counsel, you're not the deputy general counsel. Well, one of the sensitivities that I've seen clients have, and I think it's, this is an unspoken sensitivity, but I've repeatedly perceived this, is that with an age differential, a lot of times I, I feel like, again, oftentimes this may be subconscious, but people are wondering, how will this work? This is an individual that was a Navy commander, a Navy captain, you know, had all this responsibility. How are they going to do? Is it going to be socially awkward if all of a sudden they're working for a 35-year-old who has only practiced law, hasn't had this world or life experience? And also there's the question of, hey, this person has been in a senior level position, a command position. Are they going to be cool with serving in this more aligned type role? And, or are they going to, is it going to be disruptive? Is they going to be wanting to take control or how are they going to yeah. do not being in command? And so I think 
the way to counter that and the way, like, for instance, when, when I was in a position of presenting candidates, not necessarily military candidates, but candidates who are much more senior or had been in an executive level role, chief legal officer, general counsel, a lot of times what I would do in proposing them is I would, in my pitch, I would say, Hey, you know, Jane or John or whatever, whoever the person was, is uh, looking to do this type of role. They've been in the senior leadership position, but what they're seeking now is an opportunity to become a specialist in this area or to do this type of work. And they're happy to assist the team. They're a total team player. They would, they are glad to support any member of the team, whether it's from a, a senior level leader to a third year associate, or I, I would put in language like that. Sure. That's conveying this person is going to just be a wonderful team player. Yeah. And you as a candidate can convey that when, when you're talking to in an interview, when you're talking to a recruiter, when you're talking to that judge advocate that you're connecting with in a local market. Because it's important to keep in mind that everyone that you're interacting with is part of your job outreach, including that former judge advocate that you know you may have found or your former friend, they're also weighing how you're going to come across with anyone that they introduce you to. And so you want to start at the very beginning with all those contacts to let people know, hey, I'm retiring, I'm transitioning out, but this is just a career transition. I can't wait for the next you know, 10 or 20 years of my career. I want to jump in. I don't have to go in in a leadership role. I realize I'm going to be transitioning in and I'm happy to help the team to jump in and to learn. And that's going to go a long way towards people having a real comfort level with plugging you in and help reduce the likelihood that someone is going to be less likely to hire you either because of your chronological age or because of your actual practical life experience and command seniority. Ross, great stuff. We Jags are looking for someone who can give practical career transition advice, career progression advice. I feel like essentially we could turn this into the Latitude Legal Hour to talk about finding work after the JAG Corps. A lot of good stuff in there. And for those of you that are listening, if you haven't considered the placement route, uh, I encourage you to look up latitudelegal.com. Ross, I'll also have posted your LinkedIn profile, or at least the link to it, to the, uh, the description of the podcast. And, and as you heard from Ross himself, take a look and a sign up with the, his competitors as well. The goal here is to get you a job, and that's that's what the end game is. So Ross, wow, we've probably spent two and a half hours together talking on and off camera. I, I realize that's a, a large chunk of time in your world and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me and i um, glad to help. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production. 